Book One, Chapter Five of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Hobart, 2020. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book One, Chapter Five in which Julius March beholds the vision of the new life. He was aroused from these austere, yet to him inspiring reflections, by the click of an opening door and the sound of women's voices. Mademoiselle de Mirancourt paused on the threshold, one hand raised in quick admiration, the other resting on Lady Calmady's arm. "'But this is superb!' she cried gaily. "'Your charming King Richard!' Curdor has given you a veritable palace to inhabit. Ah, oh, yes, King Richard has indeed given me a palace to live in, but better still, he has given me his dear heart of gold in which to hide the life of my heart for ever and a day. Catherine's words came triumphantly, more as song than as speech. She caught the elder woman's upraised hand gently and kissed it, looking at her meanwhile full in the face. "'I am happy, very, very happy, best and dearest,' she said. "'And it is so delicious to be happy.' "'Ah, oh, my child, my beautiful child,' Mademoiselle de Mirancourt cried. There were tears in her pretty, patient eyes. For if youth finds age pathetic with the obvious pathos of spent body and of tired mind, which has ceased to greatly hope, how far more deeply pathetic does age, from out its sad and settled wisdom, find poor gallant youth, and all its still unbroken trust in the beneficence of destiny, its unbroken faith in the enchantments of earth. Meanwhile, Julius March, product as he was of an arbitrary system of thought and training, and by so much divorced from the natural instincts of youth and age alike, the confident joy of one, the mature acquiescence of the other, in overhearing this brief conversation suffered embarrassment amounting almost to shame. For not only Catherine's words, but the vital gladness of her voice, the sweet exuberance of her manner, as she bent in all her spotless bravery of white and rose above the elder woman's hand and kissed it, came to him as a revelation before which he shrank with a certain fearful modesty. Julius had read of love in the poets, of course, but in actual fact he had never wooed a woman, nor heard from any woman's lips the language of intimate devotion. The cold embraces of the church, a church as he too often feared rendered barren by schism and heresy, were the only embraces he had ever suffered. Things read of and things seen, moreover, are singularly different in power. And so he trembled now at the mystery of human love, actual and concrete, here, close beside him. He was indeed moved to the point of losing his habitual suavity of demeanour. He rose hastily and descended the library steps, forgetting the handful of chapbooks which fell in tattered and dusty confusion on the floor. Catherine looked round. Until now she had been unobservant of his presence, innocent of other audience than the old friend to whom it was fitting enough to confide dear secrets. 
for an instant she hesitated embarrassed too her pride touched to annoyance at having laid bare the treasures of her heart thus unwittingly she was tempted to retreat through the still open door into the library and leave the review of the long gallery and its many relics to a more convenient season but it was not catherine's habit to run away least of all from the consequences of her own actions and her sense of justice compelled her to admit that in this case the indiscretion if indiscretion indeed there was lay with her in not having seen poor julius rather than with him in having overheard her little outburst so she called to him in friendly greeting and came swiftly towards him down the length of the great room and julius stood waiting for her leaning against the frame of the library ladder a spare black figure notably at variance with the broad glory of sunshine and colour reigning out of doors his usually quick instinct of courtesy was in abeyance shaken as he still was and confused by the revelation that had just come to him he looked at lady calmedy with a new and agitated understanding she made so fair a picture that he could only gaze dumbly at it tall in fact catherine was rendered taller by the manner careless of passing fashion in which her hair was dressed the warm brown mass of it rolled up and back from her forehead showed all the perfect oval of her face tender lovely and smiling her blue-brown eyes soft and lustrous with a certain wandering serenity in their depths there was yet something majestic about catherine calmedy no poor or unworthy line marred the nobility of her face or figure the dark arched eyebrows the well-chiselled and slightly aquiline nose the firm chin and throat the shapely hands all denoted harmony and completeness of development and promised a reserve of strength ready to encounter and overcome if danger were to be met years afterwards the remembrance of catherine as he just then saw her would return upon julius as prophetic of much quailing in spirit and still reluctant in his asceticism to comprehend and reckon with her personality in the fullness of its present manifestation he answered her at random and with none of the pause and playful evasiveness usual to his speech i'm very glad we've found you catherine said frankly i was afraid by the fact of your not coming to breakfast that you were overtired we talked late last night did we weary you too much <laughs> existence in itself is vexatiously wearisome at times at least to feeble persons like myself catherine's smile faded she looked at him with charming solicitude oh you're not well she declared go out and enjoy the sunshine leave all those stupid books go she repeated order one of the horses go and meet richard he has gone over to look at the new lodge you could ride all the way through the east woods in the cool see i'll put these tidy and as she spoke catherine stooped to pick up the scattered chapbooks from the ground but in the last few moments while looking at her yet further understanding had overtaken julius march not only the mystery of human love but the mystery of dawning motherhood had come close to him and he put lady calmedy aside with a determination of authority somewhat surprising 
oh no no pardon me they are dusty and they will soil your hands you must not touch those books he said catherine straightened herself up her face was slightly flushed her expression full of kindly amusement oh, dear julius you are very imperative surely i may make my hands dirty once in a way in a good cause they will wash you know just as well as your own after all a thousand times better still i will ask you not to touch those books i have valid reasons for one an evil beast in the form of a spider has dwelt among them i disturbed it and it fled looking as though it had grown old in trespasses and sins it seemed to me a thing of ill omen he tried to steady himself to treat the matter lightly yet his speech struck catherine as hurried and anxious out of all proportion to the matter in hand oh poor thing and you killed it yet it couldn't help being ugly i suppose she answered not without a touch of malice julius was on his knees his long thin fingers gathering up the tattered pages ranging them into a bundle and tying them together with the tag of rusty black ribbon aforesaid for an unreasoning fierce desire was upon him very alien to his usual gentle attitude of mind to shield this beautiful woman from all acquaintance with the foul story set forth in those little books to shield her indeed from more than merely that for a vague presentiment possessed him that she might in some mysterious way be intimately involved in the final developments of that same story which though august were so full of suffering so profoundly sad meanwhile in his excitement he replied less to her gently mocking question than to the importunities of his own thought no he said i i let it go i begin to fear it is useless to attempt to take short cuts to the extinction of what is evil it does not cease but merely changes its form unwillingly i have learned that no violent death is possible to things evil julius rose to his feet they must go on he continued till in the merciful providence of god their term is reached till their power is exhausted till they have worn themselves out lady calmedy turned and moved thoughtfully towards the far end of the room where the sunshine still slanted in through the open casements of the bay window and where the delicate little spinster lady stood awaiting her amorous pigeons cooed below on the string course bees droned sleepily against the glass but she said in gentle remonstrance that is rather terrible doctrine julius surely it's not quite just for it would seem to leave us almost hopelessly at the mercy of the wrongdoing of others yes but are we not just that all of us at the mercy of the wrongdoing of others the courageous forever suffering for the cowardly the wise for the ignorant and brutish the just for the unjust is not this perhaps the very deepest lesson of our religion oh no no catherine cried incredulously there is something at once deeper and more comforting than that remember in the beginning when god created all things and reviewed his handiwork he pronounced it very good 
Julius was recovering his suavity. The little packet of chapbooks rested safely in the pocket of his coat. But that was a long time ago, he said, smiling. They reached the bay window. Catherine took her old friend's hand once again and laid it caressingly upon her arm. Pardon me for keeping you waiting, dearest, she said. Julius is in fault. He will argue with me about the date of the creation, and that takes time. He declares it was so long ago that everything has had time to grow very old and go very wrong. But indeed he is mistaken. Agree with me? Tell him he's mistaken. The world is deliciously young yet. It was only made a little over twenty-two years ago. I must know, for I came into it then, and I found it all as new as I was myself, and a thousand times prettier, quite adorably gay and adorably fresh. Catherine's voice sank and grew fuller in tone. She gazed out over the brilliant garden to the woodland shimmering in the noontide heat. Then she looked at Julius March, her eyes and lips eloquent with joyous conviction. Indeed, I think God makes his whole creation over again for each one of us, it is so beautiful. As in the beginning, so now, she said. Behold, it is very good. Oh, yes, who can doubt that? It is very good. Amen. To you may it ever so continue, Julius murmured, bowing his head. That evening there was a dinner party at Brockhurst. Lord Denier brought his handsome second wife. She was a hellard, and took the judge faux de mieux, so said the wicked world, rather late in life. The Cathcarts of Newlands and their daughter Mary came, and Roger Ormiston too, who, being off duty, had run down from London for a few days' partridge shooting, bringing with him his cousin, Colonel St. Quentin, invalided home to his own immense chagrin in the midst of the Afghan war. On the terrace after dinner, for the night was warm enough for the whole company to take coffee out of doors, Lady Calmady, incited thereunto by her brother, had persuaded Mary Cathcart to sing, accompanying herself on her guitar. The girl's musical gifts were of no extraordinary order, but her young contralto was true and sweet. The charm of the hour and the place, moreover, was calculated to heighten the effect of the Jacobite songs and old-world love ditties which she selected. Roger Ormiston unquestionably found her performance sufficiently moving, but then the girl's frank manner, her warm gypsy-like colouring, and the way she could sit a horse moved him also. Had done so, indeed, ever since he first saw her as quite a child, some eight or nine years ago, on one of his earliest visits to Brockhurst, fighting a half-broken Welsh pony that refused her to grip by the roadside. The little maiden, her face pale for once, from concentration of purpose, had forced the pony over the grip. Then, slipping out of the saddle, she coaxed and kissed the rough, unruly little beast, with tears of apology for the hard usage to which she had been obliged to subject it. So stout, yet so tender a heart, struck Roger as an excellent thing in a woman. And now, 
listening to the full rounded notes and thrumming of the guitar strings in the evening quiet under the stars he wished remorsefully that he had never been guilty of any pleasant sins that his record was cleaner his tastes less expensive that he was a better fellow all round in short than he was because then perhaps and julius march too found the singing somewhat agitating though to him the personality of the singer was of small account another personality and a train of feeling evoked by certain new aspects of it had pursued him all day long catherine mindful of her somewhat outspoken divergence of opinion from his in the morning had been particularly thoughtful of his pleasure and entertainment at dinner she directed the conversation upon subjects interesting to him and had thereby made him talk more unreservedly than was his wont not even the most saintly of human beings is wholly indifferent to social success julius was conscious of a stirring of the blood of a subdued excitement these sensations were pleasurable but his training had taught him to distrust pleasurable sensations as too often the offspring of very questionable parentage and while mary cathcart's voice still breathed upon the fragrant night air he standing on the outskirts of the listening company slipped away unperceived his study a long narrow room occupying with his bedroom the ground floor of the chapel wing of the house struck chill as he entered it above the range of pigeon-holes and little drawers forming the back of the writing-table two candles burned on either side of a bronze pieta which julius had brought back with him from rome on the broad slab of the table below were the many choirs of foolscap forming the library catalogue neatly numbered and lettered while his diary lay open upon the blotting-pad ready for the chronicle of the past day beside it was the packet of chapbooks still tied together with their tag of rusty ribbon it was julius march's habit to exchange his coat for a cassock in the privacy of his study he did so now and knotted a black cord about his waist let no one underrate the sustaining power of costume whether it take the form of ballet skirt or monk's frock human nature is but a weak thing at best and needs outward and visible signs not only to support its faith in its deity but even its faith in its own poor self of persons of sensitive temperament and limited experience such as julius this is particularly true putting off his secular garment as a rule he could put off secular thoughts as well beneath the severe and scanty folds of the cassock there was small space for remembrance of the pomp and glory of this perishing world at least he hoped so to-night importuned as he had been by scenes and emotions quite other than ecclesiastical julius literally sought refuge in his cassock it represented port after stormy seas home after travel in lands altogether foreign he took saint augustine's de civitate dei from its place in the bookshelves lining one side of the room there should be peace in the soul surely emancipation from questioning of transitory things in reading of the city of god but alas his attention strayed that sense of subdued excitement was upon him yet he thought of the conversation at dinner 
of brilliant speeches he might have made of the encouragement of Catherine's smiling eyes and sympathetic speech of the scene in the gallery that morning of mary cathcart's old-time love ditties the city of god was far off all these things were very near at hand and notwithstanding the scanty folds of the cassock they importuned him still pained at his own lack of poise and seriousness julius returned the volume of saint augustine to its place and sitting down at the writing-table prepared to chronicle the day's events perhaps by putting a statement of them on paper he could rid himself of their all too potent influence but his thought was tumultuous words refused to come in proper order and sequence and julius abhorred that erasures should mar the symmetry of his pages impatiently he pushed the diary from him clearly it like the city of god was destined to wait the guests had departed he had heard the distant calling of voices in friendly farewell the rumble of departing wheels the night was very soft and mild he would go out and walk the grey flags of the terrace till this unworthy restlessness gave place to reason and calm passing along the narrow passage he opened the door on to the garden hall and there paused the hall itself and the inner side of the carven arches of the arcade were in dense shadow beyond stretched the terrace bathed in moonlight which glittered on the polished leaves of the little orange trees on the leaded panes of the many windows and strangely transmuted the colours of the range of pot flowers massed beneath them along the base of the house it was a fairy world upon which julius looked forth nor did it need suitable inhabitants pacing slowly down the centre of the terrace came richard and catherine carmody hand in hand tall graceful strong in the perfection of their youth and their great devotion amid that ethereal brightness they seemed as two heroic figures immortal fairy lovers moving through the lovely wonder of that fairyland as they drew near catherine stopped and leant with a superb abandon back against her husband resting her hand on his shoulder and drew his arm about her waist for support drew his face down to her upturned face until their lips met while the moonlight played upon the jewels on her bare arms and neck and gleamed softly on the surface of her white satin dress to true lovers the longest kiss is all too sadly short a thing brief almost in proportion to its sweetness but to julius march watching from the blackness of the doorway it seemed a whole eternity before richard calmedy raised his head then julius turned and fled down the passage and back into the chill study where the candles burned on either side of the image of the virgin mother cradling the dead christ upon her knee gentle persons breaking from the lines of self-restraint run to a curious violence in emotion all day long shrink from it ignore it as he might a moral storm had been brewing and now it broke not from those two lovers did julius turn thus in amazement and terror but from just that from which it is impossible for any one to turn in actual fact namely from himself he was appalled by the narrowness of his own past outlook appalled by the splendour of that heritage which by his own act he had forfeited 
the cassock ceased indeed to be a refuge the welcome livery of home and rest it had become a prison suit a badge of slavery against which his whole being rebelled for the moment happily violence is short-lived only for a very little while do even the gentlest persons see red asceticism appeared to him as a blasphemy against the order of nature and of nature's god his vow of perpetual chastity made with so passionate an enthusiasm for the moment appeared to him an act of absolutely monstrous vanity and self-conceit in his stupid ignorance he had tried to be wiser than his maker preferring the ordinances of man to the glad and merciful purposes of god in so doing had he not only too possibly committed the unpardonable sin the sin against the holy ghost poor julius his thought had indeed run almost humorously mad yet it was characteristic of the man that the breaking of his self-imposed bonds never occurred to him made in ignorance unwitnessed though his vow might be it remained inviolable he never even in this most heated hour of his trial doubted that stretching out his arms he clenched his hands in anguish of spirit the sacerdotal pride the subjective joys of self-consecration the mental luxury of feeling himself different from others singled out set apart all the pharisee in short in julius march was sick to death he had supposed he was living to god and now it appeared to him he had lived only to himself he had trusted god too little had come near reckoning the great natural laws which after all must be of god's ordering common and unclean catherine was right the eternal purpose is joy not sorrow youth and health not age and decay thankful acceptance not fastidious rejection and fear catherine yes catherine and there the young man's wild tirade stopped he flung himself down in front of the writing-table leaning his elbows on it pressing his face upon his folded arms for in good truth what did it all amount to not outraged laws of nature not sins against the holy ghost but just simply this that the common fate had overtaken him he loved a woman and in so loving had at last found himself the most vital experiences are beyond language when julius looked up his eyes rested upon the bronze pieta age-old witness to the sanctity of motherhood and of suffering alike his face was wet with tears he was faint and weak yet a certain calm had come to him he no longer quarrelled though his attitude towards them was greatly changed either with his priestly calling or his rashly made vow not as sources of pride did he regard them now but as searching discipline to be borne humbly and faithfully to the honour as he prayed both of earthly and heavenly love he loved catherine but he loved her husband and that with the fullness of a loyal and equal friendship and so no taint was upon his love of this he felt certain indeed he asked nothing better than that things might continue as they were at brockhurst and that he might continue to warm his hands a little only a little 
in the dear sunshine of Richard and Catherine Carmody's perfect love. As Julius rose, his knees gave under him. He rested both hands heavily on the table, looked down, saw the unsightly packet of dirty chapbooks. Again, and almost with a cry, he prayed that things might continue as they were at Brockhurst. "'Give peace in my time, O Lord,' he said. Then he wrapped up the little bundle carefully, sealed and labelled it, and locked it away in one of the table drawers. Thus, kneeling before the image of the stricken mother and the dead Christ, did Julius March behold the vision of the new life. But the page of his diary, on which surely a matter of so great importance should have been duly chronicled, remains to this day a blank. End of chapter 5 of book 1